You're listening to the Redeemer London podcast. For more information, visit our website at redeemerlondon.org. Great. I'm uh, starting uh, a six-week series this morning. I won't be doing all of them. I think I'm doing three out of the six on utopia. Utopia. So really, this is a, an introduction, an exciting thing. Utopia. I just like saying the word. It's an ideal place or state. It's a visionary system of political or social perfection. I guess in, as a kid, I'd have grown up and I might have thought of heaven. I might have thought of paradise. But I'm calling this utopia. I think this impacts all of us in many different ways. Let's be honest. If you, if you watch the adverts, what are they trying to sell you? They're trying to sell you utopia. They're trying to sell you the dream. What is it for you? What is utopia for you? I mean, let's be honest. For many of us, it will be to have a a six-pack, no gray hairs and extra white teeth. You know what I'm saying? Suddenly you feel like, oh, that that just feels like utopia, doesn't it? Maybe Maybe you think, I'm not worried about my body. Maybe you think, actually, utopia is a beautiful beach with clear blue sea and a hammock. An ice-cold drink as much as you... What's utopia for you? Some of you think, actually, utopia for me would be a car. Bring back top gear. You know what I'm saying? You think utopia... Utopia is a car that does 0 to 60 in 0.4, that parks itself and is fuel efficient. You might think, wouldn't that just be a dream? That would be utopia, wouldn't it? Some of us, if we're really honest, we think utopia would be family. Oh, if my kids got grade eight in music and grade A at school, that would feel like utopia. There's so many ways that we can express this. I know for many in Ealing, utopia is food. It's got to be exotic. It's got to be creative. It's got to be passionate. It's fine. What is utopia for you? Is it your home? Is it the fact that you own it, that you style it, that you've got the latest furniture? Maybe it's not your home. Maybe it's your clothes, the latest color, the latest cup, the latest fashion. Maybe it's not that. Maybe it's your job. Oh, you know, if I had a job, you might thought, that that makes a difference, that satisfies, that stimulates and pays me a fortune, that would be utopia. So if I throw out the word utopia, how do you respond? What are you thinking about? What are you living for? What is your dream? The word utopia was first used in the English language 500 years ago this year. It was actually 1516, and there was a guy called Sir Thomas More who took the words out of the Greek alphabet and made this word and described this book called Utopia. But it is a word that we are still fascinated and captivated by even today. Do you know, there's a, the latest cruise liner, if you want to cruise around the world, it was due to be built in 2016, completed, it's called Utopia. Unfortunately, uh, there's been some trouble about it, and it hasn't quite been finished. I think there's a court case going on, but I don't want to get sidetracked. Utopia. Do you know, if you look up on the internet, you can get Utopia bathrooms. The perfect bathroom until they need replacing you know, you can even call your daughter Utopia. Apparently, it is a girl's name. 
Seriously, though, what do you think about when you think utopia? Is it a possession? Is it some object? Or is it an ideology? What do I mean by that? You might be a nurse or a doctor, and you think utopia is eradicating disease. And if we could eradicate disease, that's utopia, isn't it? That's what we want. Maybe not. Maybe you're a teacher, and you think, well, actually, if we could educate, educate people from all sorts of background and give them fairness of opportunity, that would be utopia. If we could really de- develop, I was going to say academies, but they put down that uh, rule, I believe, this week. We turn every school into an academy. That, would that be utopia? Is it an ideology for you? Is it equality if we treat black and white the same? If we all shout, hands up, don't shoot, is that utopia? Is it technology? The latest gadgets, it just improves life, it makes things quicker. Is it peace? What's the ideology that you would put down for utopia? The reality is that many of us would dream for lots of these things, but if we're brutally honest, it just doesn't seem to happen. We, we have this whole ideology that we'd love utopia, but then you read that Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie are separating. And you suddenly think, oh, we thought famous couples could stay together forever. But the illusion shattered. For some of us, it's been Brexit. I thought there could be this great dream of, of, of millions of people working together on free movement, and it's broken. For some, it's which airport do you develop? Not in my back garden. Or no, no, I quite like the job. Utopia, how do we feel about all this kind of stuff? People want to fight. What is happening in America? What, golly, I dare not go there. What about IS and Iraq? What about the amount of debt there is in the UK? What about diabetes? I saw a thing this week of a guy, a young guy, 40-year-old guy, had his foot amputated because of diabetes. And they reckon it's going to take 17% of the NHS budget. How's it all gone so wrong? If they come trick-or-treating tomorrow, give them grapes is the answer, not sweets. What, what, what is utopia? How does it go so wrong? Now, if I say the word to you, utopia, what's your response? What is your response? I tried to look a few up. George Orwell, he was a novelist. He said this, nearly all creators of utopia have resembled the man who has toothache and therefore thinks happiness consists in not having toothache. Whoever tries to imagine perfection simply reveals his own emptiness. Cynical. It's almost like, oh, you could never have it, and all you're trying to do is eradicate your pain. Arthur Clarke, the science fiction writer, he said the newspapers of utopia would be terribly dull. It's almost like, oh, it's the things that go wrong that make life exciting or interesting. We want to read about that. We don't really want utopia. Is that how you do it? Is that how you view a subject like this? Or do you think you're a little more optimistic? Oscar Wilde, he wrote the book, The Soul of Man Under Socialism. A map of the world that does not include utopia is not even worth glancing at. For it leaves out the one country at which humanity is always landing. 
And when humanity lands there, it looks out and seeing a better country set sail. Progress is the realization of utopias. He was almost saying, well, if we had this dream of utopia, that is what stirs us for progress. Maybe you've not read any of those. Maybe you're more of a movie buff, in which case you might agree with Julia, Julia Roberts. Larry Crown, I don't know if you've seen the film. She says this, the movie says you can lose your job and your way and still rescue yourself. Larry Crown creates a self-excavated utopia. I love that idea and that message. It's almost like even if life is going wrong, be positive. Dream. Utopia is still possible. It's fascinating, isn't it? The more I've looked at it this week, it feels like utopia is everywhere. And I feel the Bible has got loads to say about this. We're going to be looking uh, for the next six weeks at the book of Revelation. So if you've got a Bible, that's right at the back. If you haven't, don't worry. The words will be coming up behind me. The sort of whole sense of utopia, I believe, is the start of the Bible and the end of the Bible. The first book of the Bible is Genesis, and I think there was a utopia there. Man and woman were in perfection. They were able to be naked and felt no shame. There was perfect relationship. Work wasn't a hassle. He was responsible. They were responsible for the planet, but it was no hard work. They enjoyed God, but utopia was broken. And then we see in Revelation, it's almost like this picture of heaven and utopia restored. And I'm going to read from chapter 1 and verse 4 to 8. It says in my Bible, John, to the seven churches in the province of Asia, grace and peace to you from him who is, who was, and who is to come, and from the seven spirits before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and from the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us, and has freed us from our sins by his blood. And has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father. To him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Look, he is coming with the clouds. And every eye will see him. Even those who pierced him. And all the peoples of the earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who was, sorry, who is, who was, and who is to come. The Almighty. Someone should write a song with those kind of words in it, shouldn't they? Great to sing it this morning, wasn't it? Let's pray. Father, you know our own hearts. You know so many of us, what what have we thought utopia might look like? I pray as we spend these six weeks looking at the start of the book of Revelation, I pray you'd help our eyes to be opened to the paradise that you provide. I pray we'll understand something of what you're trying to say to us in, in, in a book that has got so many symbols and imageries that sometimes we can struggle. We come and we ask. Equip us, Holy Spirit. Amen. 
What I love about this book, and some of you I would have read Revelation before, some of you, if you're totally honest, have never got past chapter one. It is a book that is full of lots of pictures and imagery. We are told right from the beginning that this book is all about Jesus Christ. You see, if you look at Revelation and chapter 1, verse 1, I didn't read it. It says this, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John, who testifies to everything he saw. That is the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. I find this whole book absolutely mind-blowing. John, who wrote it before he was on this island. John was on an island, by the way. I probably should put the book in there. He was in an island, Patmos. What had happened is the uh, Roman emperor decided that he didn't like Christians, didn't just not like them. He was going to make life really hard for them. The uh, Roman emperor at the time was a guy called Domitian, and he used to call himself Master and God, and he expected you to call him Master and God as well. And actually, he decided that he didn't like the Christians, so he made it really hard for them. And if he told the good news about Jesus to people, he could make stuff tough. So John is hidden away on this island called Patmos. And he's there, and it's that, this is where he gets this um, picture from God, these visions from God. But before John had landed on the island, he knew everything about Jesus Christ. You see, he knew what we're just about to celebrate at Christmas the whole thing of Jesus as a baby in the manger. In fact, John would have counted some of Jesus' half-brothers probably as his personal friends. He knew the family. When Jesus died on the cross, and he's about to perish, he said, John, take my mother home to live with you. He knew the mother of Jesus. He had been one of the 12 disciples. In fact, we know that Jesus had 12, and you know, 12 can be a hard number to always fit around the table. So he even had a special three that he said, you're my close buddies. John was one of those. He was close with Jesus. He'd written a gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four accounts of the life of Jesus. In there, he'd written about Jesus, who gets excited, who gets tired, who's thirsty, who's sad and weeps. John had watched Jesus Christ crucified on a cross. John knew about Jesus being buried in the tomb. John had also raced with Peter on Easter Sunday and discovered the empty tomb. John had been in a locked room where Jesus had come through the walls. He knew the facts about historical Jesus. And yet he still gets this revelation. I would like to bring the challenge to us. Do we get so locked up in the Jesus of history that we forget the Jesus of all eternity? And I think actually what we've got to do in this whole series is we've got to have our eyes open. What is utopia? What is paradise? I would like to suggest it's not a place, it's not a possession, it's a person. And that actually what is going on here is he's getting a greater revelation of who is Jesus. Uh, Phil Moore, he leads a church called Everyday Church. They're planting many of them across London. Great guy. He writes Bible commentaries for fun in his spare time. In his commentary on Revelation, he says this, There is 
a real danger that unless we see Jesus in the pages of Revelation, we will worship him as he walked on the earth yesterday and not as he reigns in heaven today. So I would say this whole thing of, whoa, who is this? Actually, we've got to understand something of who Jesus is today. He reigns for all time and eternity. We could spend hours and hours on this. Partly, you always talk longer with things you don't understand. So I'm trying to keep it short and succinct for you. I just wanted to look at the one verse, verse 8. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is, who was, and who is to come. I'm not expecting you to know this. Some of you would, some of you won't. Alpha and Omega were the first and last letter of the Greek alphabet. And so basically, it's like saying, I'm the A and I am the Z of life. That's, that's really this kind of expression. In fact, they think there was a very similar expression that the Jews would have had in Hebrew, Elfi and Tav. It's almost like if you said that, it's like the two bookends. I don't know about you. You always think, oh, wow, the first person to do it. That's quite amazing, isn't it? They're a pioneer. They're a founder. They're an initiator. God is saying here, I am the Alpha. I come first. I didn't follow somebody else. You think, wow, that's amazing. I'm also the last. I'm the one that there'll come none after me. And I can think, wow, the beginning and the end is incredible. But actually, they reckon that this was a, a phrase that people said, which didn't mean that I'm the first and the last. It meant I'm the first and the last and everything in between. And so you probably wouldn't want me to do this, but I might just do it anyway because I'm like that this morning. Jesus is saying, I'm the A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K, L, M, N, O, uh, P, Q, R, S. Yeah, Jesus is saying, I'm all of that. I don't want you just to think I'm the beginning and the end. I'm everything in between as well. I am completeness. It's not just the first and the last. I'm eternity. I am wholeness. It's nothing but Jesus. Isn't it funny? You think all that list that I read out earlier, people are almost thinking, let's put it on a Facebook page. I'm whole because I'm on this paradise beach. You know what I'm saying? If I went for a cruise on the Utopia, you, know, you could imagine you'd want to Instagram it, wouldn't you? But now actually what Jesus is saying here is actually everything he is the one that satisfies from beginning to end. I know that the more things are said, it's almost like the more important it feels. You know what I'm saying? People don't, don't say something once. They often repeat it, don't they? I lived with a family. I learned loads about parenting before I got married. This was a, a church that I was involved in years ago, and for nine months I lived with this family, and they had four kids, and I watched the dad. And do you know what he said every single day to his kids? I love you. And I thought, I want to be like that. I'd love to say again and again, I love you. Let's be honest. If you're married here today and you told your wife that you loved her on a wedding day, and you've not told us since, you're in trouble. You don't just chuck something out once. It's good to repeat it again and again and again, isn't it? It shows it's important. 
Well, that is true for this phrase. It's not just thrown out once. You can look in Revelation 1, just further down the chapter, in verse 17. It says, when I saw him, this is John, I fell at his feet as though dead. There he placed his right hand on me and said, do not be afraid. I am the first and I am the last. I am the living one. I was dead and now, look, I'm alive forever. Oh, wow. Same chapter, same title. I'm the first and I'm the last and I'm everything in between. In fact, we we get it again in the book, Revelation 21. It, It says here, he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. The next chapter, it says it again. (laughs) I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. God is before all things. God outlasts all things. I think this is phenomenal understanding of who God is. What is utopia? Utopia is discovering the God who is the beginning and the end and everything in between. Everything, completeness, wholeness. This is not just even like a modern day thing. I was telling you the word utopia is 500 years. This whole concept has been around for thousands of years. How can I say that? Because in the book Isaiah, Isaiah was a a man who was used by God to speak to the people. And the people were in a very difficult position because things had gone wrong. And so they'd ended up leaving their homeland. And they were in what was known as exile, being taken off to another country. And it's almost like they were losing hope. And they think, where's God? We thought God would be in the temple, but we haven't got the temple because that's back home. And now we're all deserted and we're on our own. And the prophet Isaiah used to say, come on, lift up your eyes. Lift up your eyes and look at this great God. And how did he describe God? Well, it says in Isaiah 41, Who has done this and carried it through, calling forth the generations from the beginning? I, the Lord, with the first of them and with the last of them. I am he. It's almost like this is an understanding of God. I'm the first and I'm the last. I'm the beginning and I'm the end. I am the Alpha and the Omega. His identity is revealed in his name. Isaiah uses it again in chapter 44. This is what the Lord says. I, Israel's king and redeemer, the Lord Almighty. I'm the first, I am the last, and there is no other God apart from me. He says it again in Isaiah 48. I if, if I get anything out of the book of Revelation, I want to understand greater and greater who is this God that we worship. We sing about this lion and this lamb, don't we? We just think, wow. Who was and is and is to come. I was thinking about this. We've got great people from the past. I believe there's great people alive today. I'm looking for great people for tomorrow. But actually, if we think about God, he's a God of all eternity that is in history. It's mind-blowing, isn't it? He's all three and more. The Almighty, it talks about, dominion over all things. They were threatened by the Romans when John saw this vision, but actually looked up and said, God is Almighty. John F. Walvoord, he's a teacher, a theologian from the United States, said this, if no more had been written than that contained in this introductory portion of chapter 1, 
it would have constituted a tremendous restatement of the person and work of Christ, such as found in no comparable section of Scripture. So this is a big brain that's basically saying, this is gold. Don't walk past it. So how does it apply to us and utopia? Well, I'll tell you this. The the danger is that sometimes as Christians, what we do is we think, I give God my first. So what do we mean by that? We think we're going to wake up in the morning and we think, you know, before I check Facebook or brush my teeth, I'm going to pray. Father, I give you my day. And some of us, if we're brutally honest, we think it's been a good day. We might just before we fall asleep in bed, we might think, oh, God, thank you for a great day. I've given him my beginning and my end. But I honestly think if you want utopia, he wants every moment in between all day long. And actually, it isn't just, oh, we start and we finish, but it should be everything. If we're brutally honest, the danger is even with the offering, we think, okay, I put in my first 10%. That's radical in London. Things are expensive, but I put the money in the pot. Maybe I just chuck in something radical every week. Oh, what have I got in my pocket? But actually, God says, as if we really want his experience utopia, he's got to have everything in between. It's not just like, oh, well, when I first got saved, I got baptized. And actually, when I die, I hope I'm, you know, I've always had this thing, I want to go out with a shout. You know what I'm saying? I think I want to end my life saying, oh, God, all for you. You know, you go over your handlebars cycling along and you go, glory, because you think if I'm going, I'm going out with a shout. It's almost like the beginning and the end. But that's not what he wants. He wants the beginning and the end and everything in between. Such a powerful word from John earlier, isn't it? God doesn't want us just to feel like we've just got to run and hide. Our utopia is letting him into our everything. I mean, the harsh reality, isn't it? I just saw a picture. It's like of a, a loving father that would almost take down his daughter's arms just to give a little kiss on the forehead. Such that tenderism. I, I want to be involved in your everything. I want to be involved in your studying. I want to be involved in your dreams and your careers and your plans. Actually, utopia is not, oh, well, I've just got God over here and, and then I'm desperately rushing around. I don't know what you're worried about, but if you're worried about something, involve God. Honestly, I felt challenged myself preparing this this week, and I suddenly think I'm making decisions or trying to do things, and I think, oh, I just feel a bit worried or anxious, and I think, God, you're the Alpha and the Omega. Surely utopia is if I totally connect to you. That's what it's all about, isn't it? Not while I gave you the beginning and then I just had to try and do it and work it all out on my own. It's, it's all for you. I don't want us looking at a a topic like this, and we're going to be looking at it for the next five weeks, and suddenly thinking, oh, are we cynical? Is it going to be dull, or is it going to be boring? I would love us to go into a topic like this and just think, wow, utopia, surely my understanding of God is going to be so much greater, and it will impact my life and make it just vastly different. Who knows? I mean, we don't have them in this church, but I would really, if when we get our own building, I'm going to have chairs with seat belts on. Honestly, I would love that. And I would love right now to say, clip in your seatbelt because we're about to go. And the danger is that sometimes we turn up at church and we think it's an armchair. I think, oh, oh, golly, 
Come on, entertain me. Give us a nice song. I would love us instead to have that kind of mentality. Put your seatbelt on because this is about to take off and I haven't got a clue what God's going to do or where it's going to go. And wouldn't that be great even in this? Oh, I think utopia looks like that for me. Well, I'd say clip in your (laughs) seatbelt because I think God's going to give you a whole different expression and a whole different understanding. And I think as we look at this for the next few weeks, we'll be thinking, whoa, I'm glad this seat's got me because I think I've let go by now. You know what I'm saying? Am I upside down? Am I the right way up? Is he stroking me backwards? Have I got to turn around? Honestly, who knows what God is going to do? Suddenly there's a thing, isn't it? I mean, let's be honest. God, I can believe, will blow our minds. You sing a song, you're the lion and the lamb. Well, which are you? (laughs) Well, when you start looking at this, you just find it incredible. This is our God. That's why we sing. This would just change everything. I used to be a primary school teacher. I know I hide it well, but, you know, it slips out occasionally. If I'd have been at school right now, I'd have said, come on, everybody, let's get your seatbelts and let's just do it. Sometimes I think, why not? When are you going to say, okay, God? This is it. I'm fed up of my dreams of utopia. I'd much rather take on yours. I don't want to live this life thinking, oh, well, this would just satisfy me. I want to know you, that you'd really satisfy me. In London, the, the rat race, we just go faster and faster, don't we? Think, God, if, if I get a bit faster, I will be content. I will be happy. I will have made it. Maybe when we look at this series, there'd be something, of, oh, if I understand more of who Jesus is, this could radically change me. Let's pray. Jesus, I pray you'd help each one of us. Many of us know the facts, like John, of your life. We know about you walking on this earth. We know about your teaching. We know about you raising the dead. We don't just want to put you and consign you to history. We want you to be our vision for today. We want to stand in awe of the God of all eternities in heaven right now. I pray that as we look at this series, there'll just be something that will come alive in us. We know for this church, life was tough. We know in Turkey at the time, they were under trouble. But actually, they had a vision of Jesus that changed everything. Enlarge our vision of you, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.